you just love that song Jomwe meaning regret and that's music from uh, Richard Bonner's Scenes from My Life and that's the first time I heard him but now uh, we're going to the dining room and Karen Dudley is on the line hello Karen hello Shadow so nice to speak to you hey so nice to speak to you in 2015 thank you I enjoyed your piece of music as well thank you for that I hope you took time just to take a break and lift your feet up a bit <laughs> lifting feet not really always possible at lunchtime I know I know and thank you for taking time out at lunchtime but I thought it was important why was there need for you after the kitchen to open the dining room well, you know, the kitchen um, is a busy, busy lunch spot. Mm -hmm. And um, what the kitchen has is choice and variety. Um, and um, we, but it's really busy. Mm -hmm. And there's not, not really a quiet place um, to, to chat and to sort of sit down at a table and share lunch with someone. Mm -hmm. um, and we thought, wow, wonderful to be able to have people around a table. Mm -hmm. And so about last year, this time, a space opened up and we thought, fantastic, we can do dinner. Um, <laughs> we can have people around a table, which is what we really want. And I think there's really, we were often missing that, you know, mm -hmm. to, to, to have an old-fashioned dining experience um, where you just eat simple food, just deliciously prepared with your nearest and dearest. But you're also not just open for dinner, you're open for breakfast, lunch and supper. Yes, well, we're open. What we're doing and what has been tremendously popular is that we open for dinner on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Ah. Um, and they have, the, our dinners have been so well received, been so well received. And then also we have an event space, really, where people can come and have dinner here, a dinner party, which is fantastic because the food is much better than you can make at home, and you don't have to wash up. <laughs> but, but, but Karen, tell me, how different then is the food from the kitchen at the dining room? Well, the kit, I would say that the dining room is a little bit more grown up. Um, we serve what you we, we're thinking of the dining room spaces as having dinner in your own dining room when I come to have dinner with you Shadow mm -hmm. I'm hoping that you will just do one thing for me and not five different things oh yes yes and so we we concentrate on doing one or two mains um, but we do do a fantastic hors d'oeuvre trolley with lots of amazing flavors to start off with mm -hmm. and then we do a dessert trolley uh, and the whole experience is just wonderful. And the uh, people are loving it. It means that we can do a few things fabulously I see. instead of too many things averagely. As fabulous and, and as you. And that's how we are. We like to do a few <laughs> things fabulously. Um, and it's, it's a very beautiful space as well. You know, it's, it's in woods. People are often surprised because it's a very beautiful space. In, you know, sort of a little bit unexpected in Woodstock, mm -hmm. which is, you know, such a busy commercial space. Mm -hmm. So you have all the fun of coming to Woodstock, um, but you're having a very sophisticated dining experience. It all sounds very expensive. It actually is such tremendous value, I have to say. Um, we our, our dinners on a, on a Tuesday and a Thursday evening um, are 290 rand per person. Wow. So I think wow. it's tremendous value. Last night, um, for example, we had um, a wonderful trolley of hors d'oeuvres um, with um, oysters and a little bit of pork belly and red rice, tuna, sashimi, um, and vegetable tempura. 
And then for our main course, we had a beautiful, a sort of a buttered ribeye roast and pomegranate quail. And then all the wonderful vegetable dishes that we steal from the kitchen, so that we've become quite famous for. And then again, delicious dessert. And basically, we just, you know, we're going for the jugular. We're not, <laughs> we only do things that, that we find the most delicious. Now, Karen, are we going to see a book called The Dining Room? Because we've got the kitchen. You know what happens, Shadow, is that we're making delicious things all the time. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I'm beginning to get a little itchy yes. because if we're making such delicious things and I want to share them. You yes. know? So yes. I think it will be probably another book in the offing, um, but with a different angle to what we normally do at the kitchen so think more sort of entertaining and dining um but i think i think it's going to be fantastic no i look forward to it because i want i want all those pot bellies that you're describing <laughs> I, I want to be able to make you it know, myself we're, we're so proud of our of our of our pork belly and many of our meat dishes which we can't really do at the kitchen because the kitchen is fast 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 mm, and mm. you know variety and choice mm, mm. um but we really are loving those old-fashioned dishes that take time, and that's what we have here, is sort of time and sanctuary, you know, um, from the craziness of life. So, Karen, do people need to book for the dinners people especially? People do need to book, Shadow, and, and we do get quite busy, so it is a very good idea to book. Um, and I can give you all those details if you'd like. We also have a great um, website, dining-room, dining-room.co.za. Dining-room? dining dash room yes yeah. room and um shall i give you the telephone please do there? please do yes it's o two one four six one yes o four six three Oh four six three, and that's for the dining room. For the dining room, and you can phone and make reservations for Tuesdays or Thursdays, and then during the day we we do lunch meetings and breakfasts and lunches um, by arrangement. So I, you, I take it you take Friday off for yourself. I would love to take Friday <laughs> off, but you know it's also quite fun to be here. When I'm away from from um, from the kitchen and the dining room, I I miss it too much. Oh. So I'm I'm terrible. <laughs> You're hard. Well, you love what you do. Thank I you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much. I, we still wait for your visit. All the best, hey. Well, as, as soon as I, I... I think I'll wait for winter because I think I'll have a better time in winter <laughs> with all <laughs> the lovely food when it's cold. Thank you so much for, for, for speaking to me. You me. take care now, Karen. Thank you so much. Thanks, Shadow. All the best. You too. Bye-bye. Dining-room.co.za or 021-461-0463. And it's in Woodstock. Woodstock is looking so gorgeous these days. So get away from all those pretentious places and go and have some real food for a change. When we come back, uh, we go to... um, the exhibition Movie Snaps Cape Town Remembers Differently. We hear all about it from Dr. Siona O'Connell. She's a Trilateral Reconnections Project Fellow and a BIAR, Brown International Advanced Research Institute alumna. Hello, Dr. Siona O'Connell. Welcome. Shadow, thank you very much for having me on your show. And I'm listening to you reading that and I'm sitting and thinking, who on earth is she talking about? What is she talking about? about? <laughs> Where did you find that information? Where did you find it? And I'm, you know, well, I, I thought it was important to put it into context. No, really, it's not important. I'm just a very doer of 
woman from Mumbai State. So really, <laughs> I found Movie Snaps Cape Town remembers differently yes. interesting when it you know it, it it's installations and photographs. And I saw one of the photographs with a lady holding a baby, um, and and I thought what what is so different uh, that we see in the pictures and what the memory that is so different from then. Um, maybe I can just take it a little bit of a step back. Yes. Um, I was doing research for my doctoral dissertation, looking at life after apartheid mm-hmm. and the idea of justice and restoration and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I entered through land claims. So that's kind of the background to all of this. And doing this, I start speaking to many, many people. Um, and I enter the conversation through, through photographs. Mm-hmm. The photograph is such a wonderful um, object you know, to, that, that allows us into questions of remembering and forgetting and memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I stumble across these photographs called movie snaps. And, um, and, and the first one, in fact, that I find is in my own fam- family album. And every time I, I speak to people, um, they say, oh, yeah, movie snaps. It's part and parcel. We all used to have ourselves snapped at movie snaps. And, you know, for the last 18 months, this journey to find out more about the studio on the one hand, but also the lives of people attached you know, the lives of these people who were in these photographs has led me to a journey to think about the past in very profound ways. Um, so was there a studio called Movie Snaps? It was a movie uh, on, the, on the edge of the parade. Um, that start, It started in the late 30s um, by a Jewish, uh, by a Jewish um, owner. And this studio carries on to the possibly the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And they, um, it's on the edge of the parade and they take... Thousands, in fact, probably hundreds of thousands of photographs of ordinary men and women and children would come into the city centre and do their business, um, shop or window shop or just grab that moment in the space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, and and they, are, they they self-represent themselves in ways that far exceed what we think they would be. So you know, for, for me, what what draws my interest in it is that you know, so certain the thirties and forties is. is legislated apartheid mm-hmm. but certainly these images once apartheid comes in you know literally from 48 and 50 onwards um, and if you start thinking of the black subject as being an apartheid subject and not being human mm-hmm. in these mm-hmm. photographs that show men beautifully dressed and women with their hand stitched dresses and their beehive dressed, uh, hairstyles mm-hmm. can't have any idea of the black body not being human so that's what makes it important because it speaks about a moment of representation where, it's, where these women, men and children say to the world, this is not who you say I should be. This is who I am. I'm, I'm claiming my space in the city. Um, and I've always been. And I've always been this. Now tell um, me, would, would the, would, would the uh, images be given to the rightful owners? Uh, yeah, well, the way it worked was that, the, you know, there, there were set kind of spots around the city centre. And... Because these were old cameras, you know, it's not these auto-shoot and happy-snappy kinds of things. So mm-hmm. the photographer would draw a chalk line on the pavement, and once he saw somebody who he had to be fairly sure could pay for the photograph, he wasn't going to waste his negative on somebody who was knocking to buy the photograph. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he would draw this chalk line, he would set his exposure according to the light of that of the day and according to that chalk, chalk line. And as soon as a, a man or a woman steps in it, he would, he would press press the button and then you'd run off to them and say give them a receipt with a number and say well come back in a week's time 
and go and buy a photograph. Oh and this is how these photographs end up in homes across Cape Town, literally from Bantry Bay to Bonteville, Milnerton to Mitchell's Plain. Um, so there's one object that regardless of social or racial divisions is found across Cape Town. Now, if people didn't collect their pictures, they're obviously kept by this company, Movie Snaps. That's right. Now, the, 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 the company closed, um, we imagine, in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, I think to several factors. Um, Polaroid, you know, the Instamatic camera came yes, in. Yes, yes. But also a lot of people had been forcibly removed by then. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once mm-hmm. you're living out in the Cape Flats and out in the Bundus and trying to carve a life um, and trying to just survive and make a life, coming into town then was not... Um, it was a part and parcel of, you know, of, of your existence. I can only, my, my grandfather and grandmother, they were forced to be moved to, to Hanover Park from mm-hmm. District 6. Mm-hmm. And I remember, um, I think that was the day he began to die. Mm-hmm. You know, and if this was just one example, I can only imagine what it meant for all these, you know, thousands of other families who left. Um, so the shape of the city changes and, mm-hmm. the, you know, and the shape of the interactions in the city changes, but for me, I think I think we're at a particular um, juncture in our post-apartheid history where it's now 21 years. We're no longer a, a teenager, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but we still have. I think there's an escalating sense of rage and anger that is surfacing in all kinds of ways. And I can't speak about the rest of the country because I don't live there, but I certainly mm-hmm. live in Cape Town. So I, I think I can speak confidently about my experiences in Cape Town. And I, and I listen and I read about uh, racial kinds of um, outbursts and just a sense of distrust and mistrust of, of fellow Cape Townians, again, across all kinds of lines. Mm-hmm. And, and I think these photographs speak about a certain time and a certain way of getting on with each other and a certain way of respect well, and, I was, oh, and that I think we, we need to work towards. Well, I was going to ask you, what do you hope this exhibition does for people that come to view it? What, what sort of conversations mm-hmm. do you think it's going to bring about? And uh, how will it help us kind of uh, re, re-engage with each other and accept each other for who we are um, in, in this new South Africa? You know, when whenever I do these kinds of projects, it's... it's for me, it's not merely an exercise in nostalgia that we look at them and say, oh, very nice, and we move on. Mm. I think projects or exhibitions such as these must give pause for thought so that we can start thinking, you know, why has she done this? You know, what, what meaning does this have? And I think that the answer lies in the, the hundreds, in fact, if not more than that, of phone calls that I've received from men and women. In the, just in the last week, this article was uh, published, uh, or the exhibition was published in the Cape Times yesterday. And the number of my phone literally has not stopped ringing with mm. people saying, I've got a movie snap, and this is what I've done, and this is what I did, <laughs> and we lived here, and we did that. And I think there is a, a need, or there's a cry, or there's an urgency for people to have their experiences a- acknowledged mm, mm. that what they did just their mere survival, I think, is, has been, is, is enormously significant, but has yet not to be, it is yet not acknowledged. You know, I think we've been forced to get on with this narrative of, of the Rainbow Nation. Let's just get on with the business of living. Mm-hmm. And we really haven't dealt with what the past 
has meant. Dr. O'Connell, tell me if what are you doing with this information that people are bringing to you, and is there an opportunity for people within the exhibition space to have those kinds of discussions? There, there, there is, a, you know, the exhibition is just the first part of a longer project. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the second one is the realization it will be made into a film documentary. Okay. okay. Um, but there is there's actually a very big interactive space where mm-hmm. you where you write and you can pinpoint, you know, you write and you mark your your story mm-hmm. in this space. And then it's a case of me following up and sitting down and and, and talking with, with these men and women. And most of the times I do very little talking. It is a case of them just saying the most amazing things about what it meant to have a hand-stitched dress mm. and what it meant to present yourself in a, in a way that, you know, people say we did not go to town without our ribbons in our hair. Yes. <laughs> um, there was a way of behaving and there's a way of being seen. Um, and there was a right and there's a wrong. Mm, mm. And I think there's a, there's a message in that, that, um, that we need to grab this moment that we have to make this country the place that, that lives up to 1994. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So it is tomorrow? <laughs> it is tomorrow. The opening's at 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And if this is any kind of bribe, spectacular food and music. <laughs> That's the most important part of any exhibition. No, I think the um, exhibition we've itself. We've got kosher, we've got halal catering, great music. Um, so please come along. Oh, we will also have our, our film crew there. So the idea is that for anybody who comes along and remembers their experience, for you to be a part of this project that I think can shift the way we, we, we live in significant ways. Fantastic. And it's at the District 6 Homecoming Centre, right? That's right. Thank you very much, Shadow. I thank you for Excellent. putting it together. Thank Excellent. you so much. Have a good day. You too. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. That's Dr. Siona O'Connell. And it is at, uh, at the District 6 Homecoming Centre, which is at Baton Cunt Street. And uh, be there at 11 o'clock. And it's obviously great food. And if you need more information, it's 021-480-7153. 021-480-7153. And uh, otherwise, you may email seoconnell at uct.ac.za. seoconnell at uct.ac.za. When we come back, interesting book. It's a dictionary of Southern African place names. So we talked to co-author Peter E. Raper and it's about historical origins of places, the meanings, the names, name changes, etc. And it comes at an interesting time. Otherwise on SAFM. Peter E. Raper is uh, joining me now on the phone and we talk about the Dictionary of Southern African Place Names, which he co-wrote with Lucy Muller and Theodorus Duplessis. Welcome, Professor Raper. Thank you very much indeed. It's a great pleasure to be with you this afternoon. I am so interested in this book because, I mean, firstly, you know, the natural thing one does is look for their birthplace in it and and see what it meant and where it came from. But most importantly, and I think it comes at a great time when we need to really analyze um, if there's any governing body that governs uh, the naming or renaming of places and uh, changing those names and just just where do we go nationally or internationally to find out what processes should be taken? Oh yes, absolutely. I'm very happy about that question. Now we certainly do have a names authority, the South African Geographical Names Council. Mm-hmm. They have uh, meetings periodically names, new names and uh, applications for name changes are submitted to the council 
and then they d- decide on the matter or not. And when they've taken their decision, they make recommendations which then go to the Minister of Arts and Culture, mm-hmm. and he takes the final decision on whether the name is to be approved or not, whether the name is to be changed or not. Now, in addition to the South African Geographical Names Council, each province has a Geographical Names Committee, okay. and they, they decide on the names of the, uh, in the provinces themselves. So what does the Geographical Council, the South African one, what sort of considerations does it give to uh, the names? What, what, what are the relevances of the, that, that it goes through, you know, to approve or disapprove? They have a, 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 quite a few uh, criteria, and the policies and procedures are actually set out in the introduction to this dictionary. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to find it quickly. <laughs> well, I'm looking through it as I'm talking to you as well, because I, I thought before we even talk about the book itself, it's because there's, there's a topical uh, 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 issue right now of the renaming of a street for, uh, and I know we're talking place names, not street names, but is, would the same process apply to Cape Town wanting to name Table Bay after F.W. de Klerk? I think the same uh, factors apply. I'm looking here on page 11, small Roman 11, there are the principles and guidelines of the SHENC. They look at the current orthography, the spelling rules of the languages from which the names are derived. Mm -hmm. They look at the, sorry, the wishes wishes of the local population, provided they're not in conflict with the principles of the SHENC, Mm -hmm. historical use of the name, redress where the name is changed on the basis of historical considerations, Mm-hmm. And then United Nations resolutions on the standardization of geographical names. The United Nations group of experts on geographical names is the body that looks at international standardization mm-hmm. and approval and that sort of thing as well. Okay. So so it is in the book and I'm happy, I'm happy to know that uh, a lot of people can go back and refer to it. But let's talk about the exciting bits of this book because, uh, I mean, putting it together, and it's, this is not the first one, right? No, this is the fourth edition. Fourth edition. And some names have changed, but just let's look at the history of, um, for instance, I know there were a lot of coy names in, in different parts of, of, I suppose, the Western Cape or South Africa that have had to be phased out. And why was that? No, I don't think they've been phased out. What mm-hmm. happened is that they were adapted into the, uh, a form that was acceptable to our print media and our typewriters and our print pronunciation system mm-hmm. because the Khoikhoi names and of course the sound names as well the Bushman names uh, have click sounds and these clicks are very difficult to reproduce as you know our, 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 our country's motto has click sounds in its yes. motto and then, so it's not absolutely impossible to deal with them but for most people they're difficult to pronounce they're difficult to understand and there's a lot of confusion about them as well. But uh, that's what I find most fascinating about these place names of ours. Because so many of them seem to be adapted and derived from San and Koi Koi. Mm-hmm. So they haven't really been phased out, but they've been adapted in many cases. And then in many cases they've been translated. Because when the San and later the Koi Koi came into contact with the European people, they tended to adopt their languages as their own language of preference. Mm. That's why you find so many Afrikaans names. And we're busy with a project now where we find so many, many, many of our names have been translated. Uh, I'm going to give you one or two examples. Devil's Peak, Global's Peak, is actually an adaptation of a star name, which means wind mountain. 
Hmm. The earliest, one of the earliest names for the mountain that was recorded in the, when was it, the 16th century, 17th century, was Windberg, which means wind mountain. Hmm. And uh, Bushman word, sound word for wind is Duivi, which was adapted to Duivi, Duivel, and Duivin, which also appears Dove Mountain or Devil's Mountain, hmm. later translated into Devil's Peak. You know, I wonder... Who then chooses what the, what the language of translation is going to be? You know, is it going to be Afrikaans? Is it going to be Zulu? Is it going to be English? Who decides and, and what, what, what do you have to consider before you decide what language you're going to use as a translation from the Koi or the Sun? Now, the people themselves decide. Mm. The names have already been translated over the centuries. Uh, our names, as you know, are among the oldest in the world. Professor... Uh, uh, Alan Mountain in his book, The First People of the Cape, speaks about a period of 120,000 years. Professor David Morris of the Gr- McGregor, University, uh, McGregor Museum in Kimberley speaks about 2 million years. So, it's, 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 uh, over, this, over the period of time, the names have been established in the mouths of the people. They've been accepted. And the people themselves decide which, which language the name is in. Mm. For example, Itaguini will obviously be uh, Zulu. Uh, Papstadt will be Afrikaans. Cape Town will be English. Mm. Mm. So now, in, in the old days, there mm. was a tendency to Afrikaanerize Dutch names. But under the new South African Geographical Names Council, the names are accepted in the language that they're in. And they're approved according to the spelling rules of that particular language. So there's not a problem, really. So what do you find fascinating that you didn't know that you think we would find fascinating that's in this dictionary? Which place names did you find most fascinating? The ones that have been derived from the San and Koi Kori. Mm. Because for the past 45 years or more, I've been doing research into the Koi Koi names, along with the late Professor Harvey Ninaba. We used to work at the Human Sciences Research Council, and we spent many years probably, uh, uh, doing research, and then eventually we published three volumes on that topic. Mm. But we never realized at that time that there was an underlying San or Bushman substructure to so many of our names and that's what I'm absolutely fascinated with but of course there's so many other things uh, if we look at our English name for example Tayside when we look at the etymology of that name we find that Tay is derived from an Indo-European root Tay meaning to flow or to dissolve mm. and so looking at our names we find traces of Old Norse, Old High German etc 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 it's but what also gave me a lot of pleasure, and in this, in this regard, I'd like to express my gratitude to my co-authors, Dr. Lucy Moller and Professor Theo Duplessis, for their wonderful inputs. What I appreciate about this book is also that Jeremy Borain and his staff of the uh, Jonathan Ball Publishers have made such a lovely book. Don't you think it's attractive? It, it, I, I, it I is like beautiful. The feel of it, you know. It is beautiful, and I was going to ask you, how should we use this book? Uh, because I, I know it, it's not academic at all, actually, as, as a lot of people would think. I think it's very user-friendly. But how, how do you think we should use it? Well, it depends on the person themselves. I think it's going to be very, very useful for tourists or travelers around the country. People in guest houses might want to just leave it lying around for their mm. guests to look at because 
that's what's happened to to the people uh, to the books in the past. People have driven around with them in their cubbyhole. Wherever they go on holiday, they know they just look up where where does Warden come from, where does Harry Smith come from, where does Colenza come from, where does Ulundi come from, etc., etc. And I like the fact that it's got GPS coordinates. I think that will be useful as well. No, it's, it was difficult to find them, but fortunately we had the assistance of the United States uh, Board on Geographic Names. They uh, they helped us with that, or their, their documentation, and then our own surveyor of mapping. Mm. I looked for Athlone because I was trying to find out where Athlone came from. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was interesting to see that it was originally known as West London and was named after, renamed Milner in honor of Sir Alfred Milner, who's got quite a few streets named after him. Yes. Hey? And Milner Park, of course. Yes. And also that Athlone Bridge in, in, in near the Mgeni River. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, fantastic. And where do we find this dictionary? It's supposed to be in all good bookshops, according to the brochure. <laughs> 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 I can give you the name of the, the contact person down at the publisher themselves. That uh, is Jonathan um, Ball Publishers, huh? Yes, they mm-hmm. say, in, to place an order, please contact Charlene Davids mm-hmm. on charlene.davids at jonathanball.co.za okay. That's Jonathan Ball, all one word. Yes. Or phone 021-469-8900. I think it's a fun book for everyone. I mean, it gets people talking about where they come from and places and, and those kinds of things. A very well, a good job done there, Professor Raper, and well done to Lucy and Theodorus as well. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks what for your a, time. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm grateful. Is if the time, I just mention one last. Yes, one. yes. People that are interested in place names may be interested in knowing that we're going to have a symposium on place names on the 17th and 18th of September mm-hmm. in Clarence, down in the Free State. Okay. And if they're at all interested in you know, finding out more about it or participating or attending, they may want to get hold of Mrs. Chris Lott of the University of the Free State. Mm-hmm. Her email is L-O-T-H-C. L-O-T-H-C? Yes, at U-F-S mm-hmm. dot A-C dot Z-A. A-C, are you sure? L-O-T? L-O-T-H-C. Ah, Loth. Her name is Kursmi Loth. Okay, at U-F-S dot A-C dot Z-A. Dot A-C dot Z-A. Bye, thank you, Professor. Bye, thank you for the interest. Okay, thank you. Mooi blij. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, it's called the Dictionary of Southern African Place Names, and it is available at all good bookstores, and I think it is such an interesting, uh, fascinating book to have. So get a copy, talk about these places, and let's find out more about South Africa. When we come back, the, the, the Johannesburg's best-kept secret after this. Otherwise, on SAFM... Clyde Terry is the organizer of the the Antiques and Collectibles Fair, which is Joburg's best kept secret. Clyde, welcome. Hi, how are you doing today? Are you well? I'm good, thank you. I just want to be in Johannesburg at the moment because I can imagine the, the, the most beautiful collectibles. Where do you find them? 
Well, we have about 80 different traders. They come from all over South Africa. We have exhibitors who come from Bloemfontein, France of Cape Town, Durban, and of course Johannesburg. And this, this month we have an international trader who's come out from Holland. Mm. So we have a huge array of traders who come to Nelson Mandela Square Antique Fair once a month. And every dealer, you know, they find their things from estates. And, you know, I'm not sure where everyone gets their items mm. from. I get most of my items privately and from estates for my own business. Who are your best clients for, for these uh, antiques? Because I, I would imagine lot, a lot more women, you know, women are keepers. They keep more than men do, I think, especially collectibles and those kinds of things. Do you find they also buy more of these collectibles? Yes, I think it's, it's, it's very much a, uh, an equal thing. I think the woman stops to look at the jewelry and then the husband ends up <laughs> noticing something else. And, you know, the woman really collects. There's a lot of vintage perfume bottles at antique fairs and vintage needlework items. Mm. And uh, the woman loves the costume jewelry and, of course, the, the diamond jewelry and things like that at the antique fairs. So from the woman's perspective, yes, they, they're huge collectors and they're always looking for presents and that type of thing. Silver is one of the main focuses yes. at the moment in the industry. It's doing very, very well. So from that perspective, you know, the woman always loves silver spool vases and bonbon dishes and anything they can use in their home, actually, at the moment. And, of course, there's beautiful silver picture frames as well that, you know, often ladies buy for christening gifts and things like that. So, <laughs> Clyde, is there an opportunity for me to, to ransack my grandparents' garage and bring some valuables to you if I think they are valuable? We have that every single antique fair. You know, we have a lot of people bringing things that they've heard are valuable or that they've inherited and they were told, you know, if they ever need money, they'll sell those items, whatever. So every month at the antique fair and every day in my shop, we have people bringing in items for sale. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I mean, a lot of people are decluttering their homes at the moment and wanting less. Uh, which means our shop walls cave in, but that's what we do in our, <laughs> in our business. And, you know, lots of people bring things along. And I think, you know, in terms of that type of thing, quite often a family might be told this is the most valuable thing, you must never sell it, but mm. in, invariably it turns out to be something else, you know, that it's not that valuable, but something else that they bring in actually has the monetary value. So do you have an, an equivalent of a Stefan Wells there who, who will tell you the value of it? Well, we all belong to uh, the NADA Association, which is the National Antique Dealer so Association of South Africa. So we have about 60 to 70 specialists at every single monthly fair mm -hmm. and they all specialize in their field so we have people who specialize in coins gold jewelry uh roll dalton um clarice cliff moorcraft pottery furniture art we we have specialists in every single aspect of collecting oh, at fantastic. the antique fair so yes we do have equivalent to we just got some people like myself have a very general knowledge and i can help people more or less across the board mm -hmm. a lot of our exhibitors are quite targeted so that's quite a good thing to to have at an antique fair when you're wanting uh, a Krugerrand valued or something that you're going to somebody who's very relevant who knows the current price today of that item. Oh, fantastic. Now, tell me, Clyde, is there anything that you'd really like to see that you haven't seen before but you'd really like to have at the fair? 
Yo, there's a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have some pieces of Fabergé at the antique fair. And, um, well, don't go overboard now. That I, would, I, I would think some Chaparis at the <laughs> antique fair and Lorenzo Art Deco statues would be fabulous. And they do appear, you know, that's mm. the thing. Every now and again, we do get the pieces, you know. Mm. So, um, collecting has always been a big thing in South, in South Africa. So there's a lot of collectors out there. Otherwise, you know, the antique has been going at the square for 24 years. So it's not without a reason that it's become one of the most popular tourist things. And we get a lot of tourists, a lot of Chinese people come to Nelson Mandela Square every month to buy. And we get a lot of people from England and America coming. Mm. And a lot of people plan their holiday to Johannesburg around oh, the fair. I get an email from them to say, we've, we're flying over what date will, you know, the antique fair be on. You oh, know, lovely, so. lovely. Now tell us of, of the fairs at, at Nelson Mandela Square uh, this Sunday. This Sunday, yes. And what time does it start? It starts at 8.30 and it closes at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And it's on two levels of the inside of Nelson Mandela Square. Uh-huh. A lot of people who come for the first time expect it to be on the square. Yes. So it's on the upper level, which is the exclusive books level. Mm-hmm. And then it's on the lower level, which is sort of the Gucci shop level. There's two floors of antique dealers. Fantastic. So, uh, and... and uh where is your store? Because I heard you talk about your particular store. Well, I'm in the old section of Marvel in Johannesburg mm-hmm. with Cloud and Fourth Antiques. I'm here. And I've been here for sure, far too long. I'm nearly halfway antique <laughs> by now. So I'm not going to mention time with you. <laughs> but I've been here for a long time and I love Marvel and I love my shop and I enjoy everything. And, you know, we specialize in a lot of different things. So my if main, people, people missing a silver and more craft pottery with which I really do love. So. Lovely. So if people miss you at the fair, they can catch you in Melville. Well, that's the nice thing. And also, the nice thing about the antique fair, as I said earlier on, is the dealers who come from out of town, they always bring the best stuff that they found in Bloemfontein or wherever they are from. Mm, mm. They bring it up to Johannesburg. So every month there is that edge to the antique fair where there's just that trader who's only going to be there for one day and he's bought the best stuff from wherever his shop might be in South Africa or internationally. We get a few a dealer out from Miami every now and again and from from Holland mm. who he's the other Sunday mm. and he brings the most incredible Chinese object that I've ever seen, the gentleman who comes from Holland. He brings amazing, amazing Chinese collection. Well, we'll, we'll come up and see him, Clyde. Thank you so much for talking well, to us and good luck. Perfect, make sure you plan your visit around, <laughs> around the fair. <laughs> yes, I will do. Thank you so much. Okay, bye, sweetie. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. You take Thank care you. now. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. That is the Antique and Collectibles Fair. It sounds fabulous. It's at the Nelson Mandela Square. Not on the square. Look for it. Uh,